What is up, podcast listeners? Thank you for giving me a few moments of your day to listen to this podcast. This is the Matt Baxter Show. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and this podcast is about purpose, passion, and calling. Super stoked to have you as a listener because we're going to dive into some awesome, intense stories about people who are going through this journey of this thing called life, and we're all just figuring this out together. But seriously, you're giving me a little bit of your time, and I want to make sure it's valuable and worthwhile. So have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Matt Baxter Show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us as we began to navigate the waters is the answer to every single one of these questions, questions excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Yeah, free. And it's ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, making money. Okay, it's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record, you've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest on your podcast. You got to do it remote. Anchor is easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. What up, what up, what up? On this episode of the Wedgecast, I'm hanging out with Aaron Stewart. He is one of the co-founders of Job.com. This episode was just an absolute riot. I don't know what it was, but we just hit it off right away. He's got an amazing story about growing up in poor country up in the UK, uh, basically being down on his luck, happened to get a couple couple lucky breaks with some investors he met. And then all of a sudden his business and, and basically their company's empire just started to grow like crazy. So I'm super excited about this podcast. You know, professionally, this is an awesome relationship uh, for, for my business and his business. And there's just a lot of cool overlap here. So take a listen, enjoy it. This is just a hilarious episode with an even better guy. Well, Aaron, thanks for being a guest on the Wedgecast. My pleasure, Matt. Pleasure to be on here. So I think I'm noticing you're from Texas. Uh, with your accent, I'm guessing you might not be from Texas. Is that correct? That is correct, yeah. So I, I moved to Austin, Texas uh, from uh, a, a town called Luton, actually. It's just north of London in the United Kingdom. I moved here two years ago. Love that. So the journey from, like, do you feel like you get living in Texas? Is that, like, the American dream, like smack dab, exactly where you wanted to go, or I mean, what? I, I, well, I guess of all places to move, I mean, Texas. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's a great, it's a great question actually. So, um, it was I, I was bought here more by business design. So obviously, my company, um, we acquired a couple of businesses here. The first round of businesses, um, in March two thousand seventeen. So I was kind of obliged uh, to move here to Austin, Texas. It wasn't actually uh, a choice, um, but as fate may have it, 
Uh, Austin is a fantastic city. Uh, my family and I have settled in here uh, fantastically. Um, I do actually believe in the American dream. Um, you know, I, since I've got here, I've learned a considerable amount more about America. You wouldn't believe, you know, you kind of get very much centralized into your own country, into your own politics, your own everything. And when you come somewhere else, it's kind of a bit of an eye opener, despite the similarities between the US and the UK. But what I will say is that, in my opinion, um, I've been many places all over the world and I stayed in many places and I've worked in some obscure situations and the United States, in my opinion, is the best place in the whole in the whole world. And that, that's no joke. Um, I have children. I've had a child born here. I've got another one on the way to be born here. And I'm absolutely delighted that they get to partake within what you would call the American dream. Because in comparison to everywhere else, I would say it really is the best. <laughs> Love that. That's fantastic. Yeah, there's so... some patriotism there. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> exactly. Better, it's the truth. It's the absolute truth. Wave so, the uh, flag no, and we're good perfect. to go. <laughs> yeah, I'm waving that flag as hard as I can. It's not it's nowhere's perfect. You know, nowhere's absolutely perfect. But I can assure you, trust me, you know, coming from like the UK and especially Europe and, and everything that's going on there that, you know, I'll, I'll take Austin, Texas pretty much any day. <laughs> so, um, and it's phenomenal. And it's yeah, of course. I was about to say, maybe not on the 110 degree days, but no, maybe that's... it's a little bit too much for my British pale skin. So, um, <laughs> but fortunately, this, you may or may not know this, but it, obviously here in America, you know, air conditioning is just, you know, household wide. In the UK, air conditioning doesn't exist in homes at all. Oh. So there, there is no, so, and I can assure you, in the humid, sticky months of June, July, August, when there's no aircon in the UK, you would run. It, it's actually more bearable here in Austin because I come into my home. It's beautifully cool. Everything's lovely. You go into a home in the UK during the summer and you literally want to tear your skin off because it's so sticky and hot and there's no relief. And at night, like you just, because oh, I'm one of those people as well, I hate being hot at night when I'm trying to sleep. Oh, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's yeah. just the worst. So, um, <laughs> so yeah. So again, Austin wins there again, despite it's 110 degrees. Love that. So give us the background leading up to obviously the journey and the move over this direction. I mean, what's your, what's your full backstory? Yeah. So, um, I've been in staffing recruiting my whole career. Um, uh, when I graduated my, uh, master's degree, uh, in 2007, um, I left and went to work for a, a big stuff agency in the UK called S3. Uh, I actually worked for their job board part. It was called uh, the IT job board. And they had a sub job board called um, IT jobs in the city. And they basically got me to run that. And it was like my first kind of baptism of fire of learning all about job boards and uh, an online recruitment. And arrogantly and very naively and very stupidly, I worked on it for three weeks. I was like, oh, I can do this better. I can do this better myself. And I quit. I actually quit my job. And I left and I got some money and I just kind of got my first apartment and, and stuff. Like that. And I was like, right, I'm going to go and do this was just before the credit crunch. Of course, I'm just I'm going to go and do a bank loan and I'm going to build my own job board because I'd seen how much money they were making. And, uh, and I called it Jobs from Blue. And uh, it was the most random name ever. And actually just some some history of why I called it Jobs from Blue. There was a telecommunications company in the UK called Orange. And I thought it was randomly called Orange for telecommunications. So I thought, well, I'll call my job board Blue and it's Jobs from Blue. And that was literally the rationale um, behind the name. <laughs> hey, it why complicate it? Why complicate it? When it comes to you that naturally? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and my, my angle was at the time, you know, LinkedIn was this site. Actually, was LinkedIn wasn't anything to do with recruitment at the time. It was all to do with 
uh, networking and networking, you know, reaching directors of companies you'd never be able to reach normally. And I was like, but what about a middle management network site, you know? And so I was like, this is what Josh from Blue could be. And it was the most catastrophic failure ever. Like, and when I mean failure, I mean, the credit crunch hit, no one bought my site. I didn't earn a salary for nearly two years. I had my cars repossessed. I ended up on a welfare, which is kind of social welfare, in order to make sure I didn't have my home repossessed. And um, I was in nearly a hundred thousand pounds, so about one hundred thirty thousand dollars. But at the time, probably more like one hundred seventy thousand dollars, based on exchange uh, of euro US dollars in debt. And uh, and I literally sat there in uh, sort of uh, sort of end of two thousand eight, going into two thousand nine, thinking. I've literally ruined my life. <laughs> so, I mean, at, at that at that point, are you still, uh, do you feel like you have an opportunistic attitude still at that point? Or are you thinking like, man, this is just, the this is down in the dumps. I got nothing left. I mean, what, what was your actual attitude there? I mean, story-wise, as like a, as an opportunist guy, I'm probably, I'm, I'm imagining you might still be thinking about different opportunities, but were you, like, what was your mentality during that period of time? I was kind of, it was, there was a number of factors in play. The Probably the biggest one was I was so backed into a corner that I was like, I'm going to have to dig myself out of this hole. Um, I had a level of confidence in my ability as a salesperson and as a businessman that I thought I could, um, that I thought I could potentially push myself towards some success. But I was kind of backed into a corner where I was like, right, what do I do in a sense of, you know, I have no other alternatives. I couldn't even really go out and get a job because this was at the time of the credit crunch. You know, no one was really hiring. Um, I'm this graduate with, uh, you know, post, a post-master's graduate with, you know, uh, a master's degree in strategic marketing, a smart, but there was just nothing going. And, and I was in so much debt that, like, I kind of just was of the opinion. I was like, do you know what? Screw it. <laughs> I'm just going to keep going. And, and, and so we developed one piece of technology. Uh, which was like a multi-posting technology. It's akin to something like you'd, like like Broadbean, if you're familiar with, or Equest. It's very similar to that, and it would allow. It, but it was a multi-poster to media via platform, and um, and I was just networking myself everywhere. I was going to every recruitment event in the UK, and I was just kind of putting myself out there, and I was just messaging constantly on LinkedIn. And eventually, I got a bite back um, from a, a woman called uh, she was called Helen Reynolds. And she was from Hamilton Bradshaw. And you may not be familiar with Hamilton Bradshaw here in the US, but it's owned by a very famous guy called James Kahn. James Kahn was on the TV show Dragon's Den in the UK, which is like Shark Tank here in the US. And he actually made his fortune by uh, founding and selling Alexander Mann, which is the giant RPO. And he did a number of other major recruitment businesses. You know, he's worth you know, hundreds of millions. And he really liked um my product my tech and he actually owns 26 staffing agencies at the time so um so i got taken down to london uh, to kind of pitch to helen and they looked at the product and they were just like Do you know what um yeah we we want to invest we want to we want to be part of it and uh and i was just like and it was just like oh my god you know th this is amazing like overnight acquired like a ton of really good customers because of them and so i mean I, this this was this was truly like I hate to say it, like uh, dumb luck, fall from the sky, like oh, like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this was, this was, so this was this is so so success in my opinion is opportunity preparation with a pinch of luck. Okay, so the opportunity was that I decided to go out to market and create something new for recruitment. 
And I did it very uneducatedly, but I did it based on what I thought was right. My preparation was I'd spent two years of hard knocks, not earning any money and almost ruining my life trying to do it, which meant, you know, a lot of people, I think the success of an entrepreneur is, is a test of character. And my character was that I wasn't willing to give up. And then the final part was this pinch of luck that I finally communicated effectively enough what I had to someone of significance who recognized what I achieved. And so they invested, we grew the business. It was rebranded as iResourcer. Um, during a uh, real, real quick, real quick during the, yeah. uh, d- during your pitch, uh, did you indicate the tough financial circumstance you were in or were you just, yeah, Oh, everything's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was very honest with them on where I was and um, which actually p- played well for me. And, and I, so um, again, most people, if they're listening in the U S won't realize where Luton is, but Luton uh, was voted the most ghetto and roughest worst town in the whole of the United Kingdom to live. I actually come from probably the most humblest, poorest background um, as it is. And, you know, there was no family network to support me, no financial backing from family. Everything I'd ever done was was done on my own. And um, and so <laughs> so, again, I kind of got kudos from James Khan because James Khan has is a Pakistani background. Uh, his parents moved to London. They were leather traders on Brick Lane. So he comes again, you know, this, this multi, multi-millionaire, very humble background. So I think there was just a level of connection between me and his team and, and why they decided, you know what, we're going to give this guy a chance. We're going to put into his business. And, and, then, and then things just kind of went from strength to strength. And then I ended up becoming chairman of the private equity arm called Hamilton Bradshaw Rider Technology. And I was responsible for rolling up uh, several, um, well, actually it was more than several, it was like 20 plus uh, online recruitment tech platforms into one group that then later formed a sort of bigger part of um, of Hamilton Bradshaw. And it was kind of like my, that was like working with these sort of elite guys in the industry, you know, very, very successful. And me being at such a senior level so young, it was my first major taste of like real money, um, success, and also credibility. And, and And I think the most important thing that I got out of the whole thing was the credibility. I gained a credibility in the UK market with pretty much anyone who's senior in staffing that I was a go-to guy to do with the online recruitment technology play because I had built a business from scratch. I turned it into success. I'd been invested in by Hamilton Bradshaw and obviously James Calm badge was back to it. And then I was seen as obviously this prolific kind of guy that was getting involved with various different investments on their behalf. And, uh, and I mean, this was all at the, the, you know, the ripe old age of sort of 25, 25 years old, 24 years old, you know. So, so during this, uh, dur- during that, like the period of time that you got exposure to like real money, talent and stuff like that, what would you say that you learned that surprised you? I think what learned, what I learned that surprised me um, was, I, I think what, le- what I learned that surprised me at the time was, I had put many people that I had met on a much higher pedestal of maybe knowledge, ability, or, or, or you know, ability in the industry. And it, it actually turns down sometimes a lot of the time, which I think is it's tough for entrepreneurs. It's just kind of catch 22 of, you know, nobody's listening to you. And everyone's no one's listening to you because you don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, actually, you probably do know what you're talking about, but you haven't proven it yet. But then as soon as you get some kind of track record behind you, everyone's going to listen to what you say. And, and nine times out of 10, all the people that didn't listen to you before, 
they're not even really that smart. The only thing they do as a kind of filter is, oh, have you ever done it before? No, oh, well, I'm not listening. And it's like, but how does anyone ever break through then to kind of get an opportunity in the stage? So I think that that was kind of a, a, a lesson I'd learned. Another lesson I learned was that money, money isn't the most important thing in order to be successful in business in the sense of investment or funds. It's actually the skill sets, the talent and the team that you have around you. So a lot of the time, I mean, now, obviously, you know, jumping forward a few years, I mean, I've raised tens and tens of millions now in, in funding for, for, for my businesses and, and, and others. And one of the things I would always advise an entrepreneur is don't lose sight of how valuable uh, a powerful board or a powerful executive advisory team is. You know, they are worth 10 times more than the cash that's in the bank. You know, as long as you can afford to kind of pay yourself a salary or feed yourself, don't rely on, on trying to raise huge money, rely on having a really good team. Um, because I've seen plenty of businesses in our space uh, raise decent sums of cash and they just chew through them because they're run by a team of inexperienced or a team that aren't necessarily that good at, uh, at staffing recruitment or execution of it. And, uh, you know, money burns, whereas talent doesn't talent, you know, talent is uh, resilient to, to success, in my opinion. So we um one of the things that I got uh, drilled in it. So we actually uh, a month ago just announced a latest funding round. And this is my first business raising capital. In fact, this is really my first real round that we just closed on. And it was six months to a year of like complete hell. I mean, raising funds, especially the first time, especially like, and I'm in an area that is very entrepreneurial, but it's not tech and tech investing. And so it's just a very different world. And so learning just the way investment investing works and the people who actually invest versus the people who talk about investing and don't invest. And then just it's fascinating. And then the amazing part is when things actually start to click, like one of the most fun parts for me is not actually closing on any of the cash. It's putting together some advisory people on top of or a board or stuff like that. I think that stuff that stuff is phenomenal. So I I love what your your perspective about that is. It's not just about the money. It's about everything else that comes along with it and doing that in the right way too. Yeah, a hundred, a hundred percent. And congratulations on, on your funding round. I think one of the things that's most difficult for any entrepreneur, not just within the HR or tech staffing space, is when you're raising money, you're so focused on it that you're not necessarily focused on the running of the business. And, um, and it can be really difficult to hybrid yourself between the two uh, to make sure that, at the same time as going out and doing all these investor decks and pitches and, and talking to various investors and, and being on the ball with that, you also have to be concentrating on the continued success and growth and, and rollout of your, of your business. And because, um, you know, because the first question they ask is, you know, what's the last three months look like? And it's like, uh, oh, yeah, well, it, it, things have kind of dropped off a little bit because I've been so busy trying to win you over. And it's like, yeah. well, <laughs> that, that doesn't wash, sadly. The hundreds of meetings that I've spent over drinks and coffee with you have not been with yeah. clients that could be paying customers exactly. that but you want me to go get. They, yeah, exactly. But they just don't care. You know, their, their view is, well, what do you mean? You know, and, 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 and to be fair, you know, I would say on the second business, so, you know, once I finished Hampton Bradshaw and I resource and we'd, we'd exited that, I, I then set up my job matter in the UK and, and I managed, and I raised like a million pound seed, like with my business partner, like overnight, like it was instant because again, credibility, track record, blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, we went through a, we, and we grew the business. It was, it was AI matching with aggregated jobs. 
pulling them together and basically removing search out the process for a job seeker. And we did loads of partnership deals and we grew to like 7 million users in the UK in like two years. It was massive because you know, the working population is only like 25 to 28 million in the UK. So we, we suddenly grew a huge portion of the UK from sort of 2012 to 2014, 15. And it was like, right, now we're going to go and raise like some proper money. We're going to go and do like a big series A. And, um, and actually, you know, that itself was so distracting whilst trying to run and continue to grow this business that it was a real challenge um, for us to myself and my business partner, Paul Sloyne, to kind of continue the trajectory of the business. I mean, we did. I mean, you know, we, we did, as, as, and of course you would do, but I'd actually think that was one of the m most challenging times uh, for us as a company because, you know, we were so focused on trying to raise, you know, these millions and millions to, to kind of grow the business to the next level that we weren't. And, and I remember we <laughs> we flew to America. We came here to the US. We we're like, right, we're going to go and raise US money. And everyone was like, right, you know, US money is much easier. It's more plentiful, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. That's not necessarily true. <laughs> and uh, and I remember over a five-day period, no, sorry, I'm lying, not five days. It was, it was like three or four days. It was a very short period of time in New York. We saw 26 separate investment banks, venture capitalist houses. And I did the same pitch 26 times over about like a three-day period. I was absolutely wiped out. And not a single one of them even returned a message to us. And did you get, like, did you get some line from somebody who made some comment about – we like to invest in people. Yeah, the plan's important, but we really like to invest in people. Did you get that at all? Yeah, I mean, we got the investment in people, but then, you know, we, we got we got loads of different kind of, you know, polite, you know, we're not interested scenarios. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of the most common denominator. Of, I think some of them were like, you know, uh, you know, we love your vision. We think it's fantastic. Uh, some of the times we were actually told that we didn't think we were raising enough money. Um, oh, that's, that's the best. That's the best. It's like, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. If you would have walked in here and asked for ten times that, we would have considered. Okay, but yeah, everything yeah. else look here looks good. What? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and and also sometimes we also had like the problem with um, a couple of investment groups that they were like, there's personalities involved. So like the personality who we spoke to, who really liked us, just enjoyed maybe talking to us. So they would kind of lead us down this merry path of like, yeah, you know, send us this. We'll have a look at that and. You know, yeah, we'll get it. To and we're, so on our side, you know, being like rose tinted glasses, we're like, oh, this is it. You know, this is it. We're going to get the money. And, and and really, it's just someone who's trying to fill up their day, you know, and it's just like, and then in the end, you know, after three months of batting and balling, it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, it doesn't quite fit the criteria of, of what we're looking to. Or, you know, in fact, we've made quite a few investments into this space now and, and the portfolio is going to focus on to this or, you know, but the, but the best one definitely was you know, if you'd ask for more money now. As I've got down the line and I have raised, you know, it's since sort of 2016, have raised considerable money now. Um, I've actually learned that there is some merit in that statement because the reason being is if it's a brokerage firm who's going to go out to like select customers or high net worths and kind of raise a consortium of like a, a, a syndicate of money for you, they're not interested in picking up the phone unless the deal is sizable enough to warrant the commission that they're going to get from selling your deal and that's actually really valid and it's people play it as the reason why they're more interested in investing more money is it secures the business better and that hasn't a whiff of truth to it but the true truth is that the brokers want to earn if i pick up the phone right now and i talk to my customer and i get him for fifty thousand dollars i know i'm gonna earn two and a half thousand dollars 
If I pick up the phone to him and get him for half a million dollars, I'm going to get $25,000. I'm going to make the same call. I'm going to do the same pitch and it's going to take the same time. Which call do I want to do? And that is the honest truth behind why they say about the bigger money. Yeah, it, it, it completely makes, I mean, I've had a couple times where I've literally had that same exact scenario. I walked in, pitch went fantastic. Everything was hitting off. And then basically we got to the point where like, okay, so, uh, you know, what's, what's the magic number? How much are you asking? Boom, this, okay. They kind of sit back and then ask a few more questions and then kind of come to the conclusion. I think you're just a little bit too early for us. Okay. No problem. That's like, that's, that's, that's fine. Like I can, I can bear that. Is it revenue? Is it users? Is it customers? Is it, you know, is that like, give me, give me, give me some feedback so I can improve here. No, that actually all looks good. It's just how much money you're raising. Okay, so hold up. If I walked out of here, walked back in and said, we're asking 10x that, you would say yes? Yeah, probably. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so if I just walk out now, <laughs> give, me five, give me five minutes. I'm going to change my shirt so it feels yep. like a different person. I'll be back. You know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and it, it, it's, very, it's very true. I mean, the, the two are, you know, sometimes um, through eagerness, through maybe slight naivety, and also through necessity, entrepreneurs will try and raise funding too early and what they don't do is they don't research the investor well enough and what i mean by that is if you're going to turn up to an investment pitch everyone's like oh i'll just pitch everyone and it's true you you, you always hear turns like a scattergun for everything it's like more pitches more opportunity and that's actually not the case it's actually about cherry picking and matching an investor so if you're talking to a PE house, you're talking to a venture capitalist, you're talking to a high net worth, angels, consortiums, anything, you need to look at what their investment criteria is. You need to look at their historic investments. You need to look at how much ROI they're looking to get out of it. So are they a company that comes in later in the day and looking to get 2x on a quick six-month flip? Or are they an early stage investor that's looking to get 10 to 10 to 50 times X on a high risk but low low amount in? You know, and, and, and are they in your sector? Do they invest into your sector? Do they have any track record or history in that sector? And, um, and, and so doing due diligence on an investment group, wherever they sit from, from seed to, to venture, to series venture capitalist institutions, my advice would be anyone that's listening is really research them because, you know, you're going to go and pour all your energy, all your heart out to this person sat across the desk from you. And it won't be any reflection on why your product's not good, your service isn't good, your business is good. It will be because the criteria that that person across the table you has cannot fit with what you're offering. But as an entrepreneur, it can be soul destroying when they go, ah, we're not interested. You think, God, have I missed something? Is there something wrong with the business? Am I not doing something right? And it can really, really affect people because they think it's, and actually it's got nothing to do with that. It's because they have strict investment guidelines they have what they know they can put into. Now, they'll accept a meeting and a presentation at the drop of a hat. Because they're not experts in what you do, they can't strike you off straight away. They have to hear the pitch before they do it. Whereas you are the expert in what you do, and you know what the end goal is, what the outcome is going to be. So you should do the due diligence on who you're going to pitch. Because then when you go there, you're going to get maximum effect with the right sort of investor that is interested in you as an investment and can do it because you match the criteria. Well, as I get ready for my Series A here in the next month or two, that's probably the best advice I could get. <laughs> it's, yeah, it was, I, I, yeah, it was, definitely. oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. No, go no, ahead. no, go on. You say that. No, and, and, and you're right. I mean, and, you know, Matt just throwing, a, throwing an olive branch, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll happily uh, be any sort of, you know, uh, 
confident in that if, if you need any kind of you know sideline advice just 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 from me because you know we i can't disclose how much we've raised because sadly we're, we're not allowed to and we're also because we're we're going public uh very soon uh we're going to be listening on nasdaq Congrats. Uh, we have raised yeah thank you we we have raised in the last three coming up to four years now you know tens and tens of millions and um and uh yeah and we're about to raise a heap load more we have a, a term sheet with um just another term sheet now with garden state securities falcon capital is our anchor um and uh garden state has also given us um an unlimited uh funding budget to buy and acquire staffing agencies so uh so i can say that so i have an un, i have an unlimited checkbook which i've never heard in my life before but i have, I have an unlimited checkbook to acquire anyone in the staffing industry that we see is suitable to uh, towards us so we have about 15 companies that we're in the process of of looking at buying at the moment that's pretty phenomenal circumstance to be in so yeah, when we nice uh when, when we when we take it offline this podcast i have some uh very direct questions for you about a few things <laughs> we're getting ready to do so <laughs> i'm at your disposal matt your disposal. i love that love that so <laughs> let's um let's keep going on the storyline because i i mean i could sit here and talk and swap stories about that for the next five hours. So we'll keep, uh, we'll, we'll keep pairing on the storyline. Yeah. So you, um, when did, so when was sort of the birth of job.com and what, what led up to that? Sure. So we completed two acquisitions of businesses here in Austin. Uh, one was called Zillion Resumes, one was called Active Hire. And that was in March, 2017. And then I moved uh, here in June, 2017. And then on the grapevine, uh, we just heard that uh, job.com, which have been in the US as a job board since 2001, at one point in its history, sort of between 07 to 2011, it was like literally number two or three in the market. It was in like 100, and, it was in like 50 million visits a month at one point. It was huge. Uh, going back over 10 years. So you can imagine, I mean, that was massive. I mean, that's more traffic than ZipRecruiter does now, you know? And um, it was massive. And then it just lost its way. The business lost its way in a sense of, Indeed, Glassdoor, LinkedIn, all, all of these, Zip Recruiter, all came along and completely, you know, dominated the market. You know, indeed, it did, indeed did the unthinkable and destroyed monster, which no one ever thought would happen, but it did. And uh, so when it came to 2017, uh, Job.com and the original owner, Brian Alden, who had done very well at Job.com, he'd been extremely successful. He just reached the point in his career where he was like, you know, I, I want to exit. You know, I'm I'm done. I've been doing this for 20 years. You know, and uh, and just to let you know, like, and I'm sure you won't mind this. So the the URL job.com was purchased in 1998 for three and a half million dollars. That I got to be honest. I'm glad I I'm glad you brought this up because we're in the process of theoretically acquiring wedge.com and it's not a small fee. And when I, my first, my first thought when you had job.com, I was thinking that price tag that somebody had to pay at some point of time had to have been astronomical. Well, the astronomical price obviously doesn't ever fade, especially when, when we acquired job.com, it had 60 million registered users. Um, obviously about 19,000 clients um, and obviously the name job.com and also with it came job.net and that is a business as well. Um, so job.com is one of the most expensive domain URLs in history. So I can't tell you how much it was, but I can say, you know, do a Google and find out some of the most expensive ones and you'll soon be able to put two and two together. 
So, um, so it, it was a it was a very expensive domain. It was a very expensive uh, platform business, um, uh, in a sense of what it was for what it was. Uh, but for us, the reason we did it was we had a vision to change the way permanent staffing would work. And so my background, and I'd worked in permanent staffing with Hamilton Bradshaw, and my business partner Paul had owned, and we both owned a, a couple of permanent staffing agencies together, including contract agencies. And uh, and when we acquired it, I said, look, we've got this, you know, artificial intelligence, which is fantastic. It's shortlisting. It's been built over all these years. You know, we can really develop a shortlist. It can do a lot of what a, a recruiter does to a degree. And if we focus ourselves on blockchain technology to create peer-to-peer -peer and small contracts and our, our smart contracts and, and our system works on both private hyperledger fabric and a public uh, blockchain, um, I was like, we could create a permanent staffing solution. And, and to give you like an indication of, you know, in, in sort of February 2016, on our pay-per-click traffic stuff, like, you know, one bit that we've done in the US, we've done 2 million visits in a month out to market and we made $400,000 out of it. We're like, yeah, that's fantastic. But then I sat there and I said to my business partner, I said, but how many of those people actually got a job? And I was like, 1%, which would be a catastrophe, Matt. But if you've got 1% of them got a job, so 20,000 people got a job out of that. So remember that 20,000 number in your head and then remember the 400,000 that we got for our 2 million. The fast track forward to our business model now, which is where we use AI and blockchain to place a candidate into a company. We build you nothing to successfully hire. And then when you do get placed, we charge the client 7% of the base salary, which is significantly cheaper than a traditional contingency base. Yeah, that's like, that's like more than half of what yeah, it's yeah, like more, sometimes they're normally about 20% they're about 20%. yeah so yep. it's significantly cheaper and then our fee splits into two so job.com takes two points we get two percent and the the job seeker because they're on the skills experience education they apply for the job they ace the interview they deserve to get five percent five points and they get a five percent salary signing the award um so based on the average salary in the us let's just say around fifty thousand dollars it means the average person using the job.com platform and doing the same behavior as anywhere else will get two and a half thousand dollars as a signing reward if they get their job for us. And we, job.com, we earn a thousand dollars. So if I take you back to the figure of if we'd only placed 1% of those 2 million candidates we'd attracted, because it's all about the attraction and we'd got 20,000 people placed, 20,000 times a thousand dollars is $20 million. And that's why this business model was created, because we were sat in the wrong part of the supply chain. Why earn $400,000 from clicks from attracting 2 million people when I can be all the way at the other end of the supply chain and place them and only place 1% of those people? I only place 1%, but if I place 1%, I'm going to make $20 million instead of 400000 And so, and thus was born the job.com model. I'm no math whiz, but that's, that's pretty straightforward. Carry the one. A, and yeah, I could, yeah, see, I could it, see which one's more valuable there. It's easy to see which one's more valuable. It's still really consistent, the same level of effort in trying to attract users. But at the same time, it's a case of what I really love is that, you know, I'm a family man. I've got a wife. I've got four beautiful children. I actually have another one on the way. So it's number five. Yeah, baby, and, uh, just I'm, make it number five. <laughs> make it number five. But I have been very poor. And I absolutely understand the struggles of any man or woman trying to go out there and work hard. And if I, job.com, slam a 5% salary signing reward into your hand for doing the same behavior that you would on LinkedIn, Indeed, Monster, anywhere, but just by doing it for job.com, we actually give you the lion's share feedback and it's thousands of dollars. It's a good Thanksgiving 
it's a good holiday it's a good christmas it's a down payment on a car it's a payment on it's payments on a loan do you know what that means a lot to me and i love the fact that over the course of my career i have helped so like in the uk i helped 7.2 million people with a free product that helped better feed their families and pay their mortgages because it was a piece of technology that found themselves they wouldn't normally find themselves so and i'm deeply passionate about that now so that business model i feel is embraced and the job.com model is embraced because it's a selfless act of recruitment we still take a feed and we still make good money but the reality is the lion's share of it goes to the person who deserves it most it's the one who earned that degree who got that experience who applied for that job who aced that interview it's going to you mr candidate because you're the person who has the value you're the one that made this happen not me i just brought you and you together you with the company so i take a small fee but the rest is all you and if you believe in that, then you'll be the one acing your interview and getting hired. So, um, so when we then started presenting this to market, it was really well received. And um, and one of the sort of big deals that we won was with uh, with a group called Company.com Office Depot. Um, Office Depot has a business services section powered by Company.com. They resell business services to their 12.7 million business customers, um, and they have one tile in there which is recruitment. And there was a bid between us and Indeed, Indeed.com. And yes, I will name and change them. And, um, and we won. We won the deal. And the deal is that we have three years to be resold to company.com and Office Depot customers. You have millions of them. And Office Depot, you know, had committed $20 million of their own cash to market out this business services section to those 12.7 million business customers. So this was sort of like our first major break of validation behind uh, our product. The next one, uh, which is literally about to be announced in the press, uh, is our relationship with Monster. So um, we have a very close relationship with Monster.com and specifically their RPO Talent Fusion. So Talent Fusion and us are partnered together in a sense of Talent Fusion posts all their roles uh, to us and work with us on a split fee. And also we offer Talent Fusion as an upsell white glove level service with still with the automated a signing bonus, a signing reward, should I say, uh, but also like Office Depot and stuff like that. So um, it's like a huge kind of collaborative partnership between uh, our two uh, platforms. Um, we were an SAP, like Success Factors Foundry, whatever it is, uh, finalists. Um, and, uh, and we're just going through the process of the integration with SAP now. Um, we have a very unique relationship that's coming with iSIMS. I can't say what it is because it's for iSIMS to say. Uh, it's their baby, uh, but we're very proud to be one of the... Uh, I think it's only three companies out of everyone that will be part of it. Um, we have a great relationship and partnership that's just formed with Smart Recruiters, the ATS Jazz HR. We've got Greenhouse. Um, you know, there's um, you know, there's just a number of, uh, sort of major relationships and partnerships that are that are coming. Some other really good deals that are coming as well. With a, I can't say the name yet because it's not been done, but uh, like the market leader in in split fees. Uh, in, in the US, been around for a very long time. Um, we're going to be moving forward with them, hopefully on a, on a significant deal. And we're delighted to be working with them. And um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, Matt, tons of stuff's going on. And whilst also at the same time, we've got about 15 deals pending where we're buying out other staffing agencies. We, we're trying to buy about 150 to $200 million in revenue um, through our acquisition process, um, ready for um, our Q1 listing on NASDAQ. You guys have absolutely nothing going on. You've got nothing to think on late at night. You got, you know, n n nothing, nothing that's keeping your world <laughs> turning at all. 
are, I mean, you know, uh, to be fair, and I, I've actually glossed over a lot of stuff there because because obviously it's a public podcast. There's just so much stuff. Yeah, you know, if we were talking privately, I could tell you, you know, well, <laughs> that's but, amazing. But, but, uh, but you know, but you know, but, uh, by the gatepost. But I sadly I can't say it publicly because some of the stuff's not completely signed. But it's happening the other stuff, but I just can't say it yet. So we'll we'll um we'll, we'll hold back. But yeah, we, we've got a lot going on. And do you know what, Matt? Uh, on your journey, I'm sure you'll experience. You know, uh, you kind of there's the saying. Oh, it took me ten years to become an overnight success. And, and that's probably the most truest statement ever, you know, and I'm not even saying we're overnight success yet. I'm just saying that we're, we're definitely on the way now. And, uh, you know, once we do the IPO, we kind of crystallize our value. Um, then I'll probably raise the glass and say, yeah, do you know what? I've done it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and we've got some, you know, we've done a lot of press. I don't know if you've seen, but we are in the press a lot, you know, they, they kind of like talking about us quite a bit and we've got, we've got a lot of stuff going on. And I was recently blessed with the honor of being a, a contracted writer for NASDAQ. So, um, so I am their authority on AI, blockchain, and recruitment. So I, I write for them and write articles, and um, which is really cool. Kind of delivers more credibility. Yeah, that's amazing. What yeah. a fun, what a fun job too. I mean, that fills your bucket with some pretty exciting, you know, resources and just materials that yeah. you would get access to, which is probably phenomenal. Yeah, it's it's very cool. It's a really really good opportunity. It's a great. I mean, you you can't self serve in a sense of you know I'd love to be selling to everyone you know about about job.com or Nasdaq, which is the last thing I'm allowed to do. Uh, but what what it does is, I guess it kind of validates uh, you know a lot of the stuff that I talk about. And being the chief visionary officer of job.com, and 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 I'm you know I'm the tech guy. I'm the guy that. And when I say the tech guy, I mean I'm the guy with the vision for what the tech can do. You know, we have a CTO. A very talented CTO called Paul Ryder, but I'm I, I I am the vision of of the commercial side of it, and I guess having my kind of opinions shared and and portrayed on on Nasdaq, you know, they will have a they'll have a, a, a statement on saying that you know the opinions are my own, which is true, but nonetheless having a, a vocal voice written on Nasdaq uh, saying about you know blockchain recruitment AI kind of just validates that you know we know what we're talking about here at Job.com and and everything we're doing. Is, is 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 very sexy and it's and you know what? it's here to help the job seeker you know i am i am the biggest fan ever of the hard-working man and woman we're deeply because i have three daughters i'm deeply deeply passionate about um unconscious biases and artificial intelligence to do with gender discrimination so like you know i wrote a few articles about amazon scrapping their uh, recent recruitment matching technology because they found it was biased against women and this is happens because the general population of resumes that are used to teach the engine might be slightly more construed against masculine language because there's more males in there or the the text that actually built the AI matching maybe 80 percent of them were male which means the masculine language weighting is too high towards men which inadvertently affects women when they come to apply for a job and um you know and we are so hot on all of this stuff and we're building some really clever ai that can actually test itself to make sure that it's not biased um and um and, and things like that which is kind of you know, thought leadership and it's just about helping people you know because i've been so broke so poor so ruined <laughs> that i completely know that you know there there are probably people out there there might even be people listening to this podcast uh one day that think oh, you know when's my break coming or when's this going to happen and, and if you can just build platforms and te technology even like you are with wedge you know where you give a a, a, a stage a way of people having an opportunity to improve their lives i think is really important even if it's just minute minute you know i think it's that's the best sort of capitalism that you can well that's uh phenomenal i mean my my 
my last question, the, the way to wrap this whole thing up is always, you know, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning the most? And that sounds exactly like what it is. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, if I had to order it, I mean, my wife and my children are obviously my ultimate motivation. And Yeah, not a, not a bad know, start. <laughs> no, not a bad start. And, you know, it, my eldest daughter, so actually going back to when I very first started my first business and everyone's babies, my eldest daughter is called Caitlin. And, um, and, and I had her when I was much, much younger. So she she doesn't she's not my she's not my wife's daughter she's from a previous relationship but she was she 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 was uh, she appeared she was a, a a beautiful surprise when I was much younger and if that was the very very first major motivation I ever had in my life to actually make something happen and I know that sounds cliche because everyone will be like well of course you feel that way about having a child well yeah maybe but I don't know if necessarily always young people do feel like that or they understand the magnitude of responsibility they now have. But when I was on that kind of failing journey in the beginning, and then suddenly I was, you know, oh, with everything else, losing my money, losing everything, having nothing. And oh, here's a baby, by the way. Here you go. Here's extra responsibility for you. Yeah, just par for the course, of course. When it rains, yeah, of, course. of course. It was like literally like just, oh, just chuck you in some boiling water and see how you swim. It was like, but you know, I, it was one of the best things that ever, that ever happened to me because it gave me the opportunity to kind of really have, sometimes when you're young, I'm sure you appreciate this, you know, I don't take everything too seriously. I had no responsibilities. I was just, you know, whatever, blase, lapsidaisical. And then suddenly this child entered into my life and it was like, wow. And I was, I've never felt a love like it. And, and then I only experienced that love ever again with my wife and my other children later on, much later in my life. And so they are the most biggest motivation of anything. And then secondly to that is I genuinely love like helping people. I, I, I understand the struggle of of life i understand that we 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 work to live we shouldn't really live to work that's not always the case when you're an entrepreneur um and the, and, the, and i'm sure matt you sacrifice and do your five to nines right now so that later on in life you'll do nothing you know because i have every intention of retiring very young and doing things and just enjoying time with my wife and my children but i will do just like you say i'll do the five to nines i'll do the 12 till 12s right now if i have to but it's all for a greater cause later yeah it's for a bigger purpose it's for a bigger absolutely a bigger purpose so yeah that's that's my my main uh, reason to get out of bed and then one personal selfish reason as well is i bloody love cars matt <laughs> well i i read that so I, I forgot what article that i read that i was uh yeah i'm a massive love car cars. guy i'm a huge guy i've had i've had dozens of, of nice cars over the years and uh, and and you know and and to be fair I'm at a point now in my life where my dream is to own like the dream garage and, uh, you know, hopefully in the next sort of few years that will present itself to me and I will definitely, definitely take that up. So that's my top three family, helping people and then cars. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You've got the order figured out. So that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely got the order right. Yeah, for, for my own safety, I've got the order right. So, uh... <laughs> Your kids are in the background listening, so you're good to go. Yeah, your kids are listening, wife's listening. She stood there with a kitchen knife in her hand. I've said the right order. Everything's fine. So, <laughs> well, Aaron, is there anything else Anything else you want to leave the audience with? No, I, I mean, it was a real pleasure being on your show. And, um, you know, obviously, best of best of luck to, to you with what you're doing with, with Wedged. And, um, you know, and anyone that's listening, you know, if – you know, best of luck with anything that you're doing. And thank you for taking the time to listen to my story. Love it. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the Wedgecast. No worries. Thank you, Matt. <laughs>